0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, my friend Ken Samples, and he always brings so much amazing and interesting content to the show, and today will be no exception. He is a philosopher and theologian and has really a a passion to help people understand how reasonable and relevant uh, the Christian truth claims are. He's a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe, and he's the author of several books, including christianity cross-examined classic christian thinkers and god among sages ken welcome back hello bill it's good to be with you yeah your topic is so interesting today i i love uh hearing different perspectives that people have about christianity and when you get a perspective from someone who's an atheist uh, you have my attention i find that fascinating
1: I do as well. And I, I, you know, I like to interact with people from different worldviews. And when I get the opportunity, I'd like to present why I think Christianity is true. But today we have a, a really fascinating philosopher who is a, very formidable. I mean, some atheists I don't think are well prepared or really understand Christianity. But the man I want to talk about today he's not only bright, well-educated, but he does understand Christianity. And so it's it's interesting, some of the comments he made. It
0: seems to me, Ken, that if you're going to be an atheist, you really do have to believe that there is a God. Otherwise, why would you have so much energy talking about how there isn't one?
1: Well, that's a, that's a really, I think, interesting point. And You know, the Apostle Paul says quite clearly in the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 1 and 2, that that people see, understand, and know that there's a God. Uh, They see it through creation. They see it in conscience. They see it in various ways. Mm -hmm. But they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And I have asked atheists that at times. I say, you know, if if you don't believe God exists, why have you spent the last two hours with me debating?
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm not. I, I don't hear anyone getting in debates about the tooth fairy.
1: That's right. Now, an atheist might come back and say, "Well, I think uh, religion is poison, or I think religion's really bad for the world." Okay. So I'm, just, I'm just trying to help you and others. But I don't know if I didn't believe in God, I don't know that I would go out of my way and dedicate my life to arguing against God.
0: Hmm. So I think we should now establish who is this person.
1: Yeah. Well, uh as I mentioned, he is a uh, a philosopher and a philosopher of of science. His name is Keith Parsons. Okay. Um, Keith has uh, a really good background. He has actually two doctoral degrees, one's in philosophy, the other is in the history and philosophy of science, and I, I, think that's what makes him such a good debater. He's debated a number of uh, Christian thinkers. He he's written a, a couple of books. One, uh, two you can find online. One is entitled "Why I'm Not a Christian." Mm-hmm. That'll upset you in terms of his views. And then he has another book, "God and the Burden of Proof." And again, I've seen Dr. Parsons debate. Um, he's he knows how to marshal arguments. And he has real rhetorical skill. And in fact, he debated William Lane Craig. Dr. Craig oh, is sure. one of the best debaters, I mm. think, in the world. Maybe the best Christian apologist alive today. I mean, that's he's that good. He debated Parsons. And I would say maybe it was a draw. I might even say Parsons won the debate, which is saying something because Dr. Craig is so skilled.
0: Mm-hmm. I invited him so, on my he- show and he said no.
1: Oh, boy. But no, I didn't take it personally.
0: That. I didn't take it personally. He he had oh. so much going on. And he said, I'm trying to get a book finished. And he yeah. was, I love the invitation, but I'll maybe take a rain check.
1: Well, let me tell you one more thing about Dr. Parsons. He okay. is a professor of philosophy at the University of Houston at Clear Lake. So that's in Houston, Texas. Okay. That's a little bio about Dr. Parsons.
0: Okay. All right, I want to hear uh some of the things I've read that he has said I found uh quite interesting. Um I had my notes booted up. He's and I think this is him. I might, I need to check with you to make sure I have this right. So the sure. Christian depiction of the human condition seems to be spot on. This is one thing Christianity gets exactly right. There is something deeply and seemingly irredeemably wrong with us we stain everything we touch
1: yes now what's interesting is he is not sympathetic to christianity he thinks the arguments for god they don't work um he thinks apologetics is a waste of time but you have really touched on uh a number of things he said in the article let, let me let me restate that again the Christian depiction of the human condition seems spot on. Mm-hmm. It's one thing Christianity gets exactly right. There is something deeply and seemingly irremediably wrong with us. We stain everything we touch. Even the citadel of reason is breached. Wow. Um, I think that that is, in my view, a very big concession uh, on the part of Dr. Parsons, because I'm going to make the case, Bill, that if you get human nature right, if if your philosophy, if your worldview, if you can understand that enigma we call the human nature, I think that's a powerful case that you're on the right track of a worldview that is true and reasonable. Because people debate all the time about humanity. Freud had his view of humanity. Uh, Hinduism has its view, Buddhism, Islam. Uh, everybody has an anthropology. And of course, uh, you know, Dr. Parsons is a Darwinist. He believes that evolution produced human beings. But boy, I mean, to to state it that clearly, that uh, the Christian view of human beings is spot on. Well, uh, that's really what Blaise Pascal said. He said, Christianity nails human nature, and I think that's a powerful argument, and I think it's a big concession by a really brilliant unbeliever.
0: Hmm. Um, Ken Samples is my guest today, and we're um, going to talk a little bit about uh, the perspective on Christianity from an atheist standpoint, and I always think there's a lot to learn from that, because they uh, we confront them all the time, and it's important to... Uh, get some background as to how they think and, and what some of their talking points are. And, uh, this gentleman, uh, that Ken is referring to, Dr. Parsons is a brilliant thinker and he's got some points to make. Uh, doesn't convince any of us listening to faith radio. Um, but I do want to find out more about his angle. So, um, is, is he, he's sympathetic to Christianity. Is that a, a fair assessment, Ken?
1: No, I would say he's not. Okay. Uh you know, he he doesn't think the cosmological, teleological, moral, ontological arguments. He doesn't think any of those, you know, work. He thinks that uh no individual argument and no collection of argument works, but he says, "Hey, you know, uh uh yeah, in fact, the, he closes his article um With this statement, which I I thought was kind of funny but interesting. He says, So chalk one big one up for Christianity. You know, he's in the article, he essentially says, Hey, I'm always trying to tear down belief in God because I'm going to take a moment and tell you what I think the best argument is on the other side. And I really admire that approach because when I do Christian apologetics, I'm always. I have to remind myself what's the best argument on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 easy to just kind of have what we call a confirmation bias, where you go looking only for evidence that supports your view. Now, I think there's plenty of good arguments for God. I think there's solid arguments for Jesus being the Son of God, Christianity being true. But I always try to look on the other side. So I I'm I'm grateful that Dr. Parsons would write an article like this. And by the way, he wrote it in 2009. So it's it's not new, but I only discovered it a few weeks ago.
0: Oh, wow. So thank you, thank you for bringing it to our attention. You um, bet. Yeah. So maybe we can uh, find out what Dr. Parsons uh, says Christianity gets right. I know you just mentioned one, but there must be more than just this one.
1: Well, he um he, again he would say that uh what Christianity gets right is um is human nature. He says it's original sin and and he has a good understanding of original sin. Original sin of course is the idea that uh sin has been passed down from generation to generation in a biblical context. Adam and Eve uh, rebel against God, eat the forbidden fruit. The, uh, those who come after Adam and Eve are born with a sinful nature. Uh, original sin typically understood means three things that you, you have a, a nature that has been, uh, corrupted. So you have a, you have a moral flaw deep within. That would be one thing of original sin. Uh, two would be you're going to die physically and 3 that you suffer guilt in adam now that third one is the controversial one that we we are responsible because of adam and eve's sin that's the controversial one not all christians accept that but the idea of original sin is a very powerful one and and again the point i make bill is this that um you know that if you want to know how can i prove christianity or What can I appeal to? I think it's very powerful because this is something we encounter every single day of our life. I've never met a perfect person. Everybody has moral flaws. And of course, humankind can be very evil. The Holocaust, uh, human trafficking. I mean, humanity is capable of terrible evils. But the Bible says that very thing. We're all fallen. And uh I think I, I think for somebody of Dr. Parsons' um, area of study to recognize that is very powerful. Now, I think there's some other areas we can support Christianity. Obviously, the resurrection. I think the fact that the universe had a beginning is an indication because the Bible teaches a universe that God created out of nothing. So, uh, if you get humanity right, you and you understand this conflict. I mean, Bill, Islam says human beings are born good. Yeah. Islam doesn't believe in a fallen nature. And I look at their history and I say, you don't believe in a fallen nature. Mm -hmm. Well, Christianity gets it right. And even Dr. Parsons acknowledges it.
0: I had a conversation, Ken, with a gentleman that uh, grew up in uh, a Muslim family uh, studied the Quran and did all the daily prayers and he is the first family member that is exploring the claims of Christ and wow. of course there's a lot at stake and he is moving slowly but he's feeling overwhelmed uh, as he starts to examine the evidence and I said to him well in 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 the Muslim faith do you have a personal relationship with God, and he said, "No, no, of course you don't. It's almost like um, it, it's a duty. All you're doing is filling a, a role. You're not enjoying any intimacy." And he starts to, starts to get a glimpse of what it's like to be in a in a a loving personal relationship, and he's hearing about it, and it's so attractive to him.
1: No doubt about it, Bill. I've I've taught the world's religions for thirty years, and what I see is there's not a lot of hope in the world's religions. People, people know that they have, uh, they have defied their moral conscience. They know they're sinners, and with a god like Allah, uh, there's no good reason to believe that he is a god of love. Whereas the Trinity is like a, a it's analogous to a loving family. Mm-hmm. The father loves the son. The Spirit comes from the love of the father and the son and we're adopted into the family. Yeah, that that is great. And there are people uh in Islam who come to believe in Christianity. I have a couple friends who not only have left Islam, they've become very fine Christian apologetic thinkers.
0: Mm-hmm. And I encouraged him. I said, "Let's let's study the word and let's let's get to know God on his terms. Let's let's hear what he says about himself." And then I kind of playfully said to him, "Hey, you know, by the way, I know I just met you, but I did hear something about you. I heard you uh, play the French horn and used to be the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. That's true, right? He goes, he started laughing. He goes, "Uh, no, neither of it's true. I said, well, that's me talking about you. Why don't I get to know you on your terms? Why don't you tell me who you are and I can understand you versus what I've heard about you? And he goes, hmm, I like that. So we're going to be diving into it again next week or this week. So I'm looking forward to that. Ken, yeah, let me take a little good. break. This is a fascinating conversation. Have you had a conversation with um an atheist and you had something come up and you want to share it with us? I'd love to hear. What did, what did you hear? How did you handle it? Uh, text it over to me at 877-933-2484. Uh, and if you have a question for Ken, you can ask that as well. Same number, 877-933-2484. So cheerful givers, it is always amazing that you live so intentionally and give so sacrificially and are so generous in all that you do. Whether it's financial gifts or it's your time and talents and resources God has given you, you are making an incredible difference for the kingdom. And kingdom advances through prayer and giving. And we don't want to have the year end without inviting you to make that end of the year tax deductible gift to help support faith radio your gift right now what keeps us spreading the good news in front of a lot of people so thank you for giving by clicking the link in the show notes or giving at myfaithradio.com thank you so much hi this is bill i thought this interview was so good i wanted you to hear it again so enjoy Welcome to the show. If you just tuned in, Ken Samples is my guest for the hour. We're uh, chatting about an atheist philosopher and his perspective and take. And I think it's like Ken is a philosopher himself, so he loves to get into these kinds of discussions and understand what the other side thinks and how the other side argues. And I think that's a helpful evangelistic, apologetic uh, strategy. Would you agree, Ken?
1: I certainly do. Uh I call it uh practicing the golden rule of apologetics. That is, treat other people's ideas and arguments the way you want yours treated. Doesn't oh. mean you have to accept them. Doesn't mean you have to swallow them. It means, though, that you treat them the way you want to be treated. You want your arguments and beliefs to be treated fairly and respectfully. You want people to quote the best sources. I try to do that with other people, And I, I even try to practice what I call apologetic good Samaritanism. And that is, uh, I'll even, I'll even say to an atheist, you know, I don't think your argument's all that good, but if you said this, I think it would be better. It would be (laughs) strong. You're coaching them. And, and in, in a sense, I want both of us to, Hey, you know, I believe I have the truth, but, uh, I'll always look at a, a reasonable argument from a thoughtful person. And uh, so I think that those are very good. We are to love our neighbor. One of the ways we can love our neighbor is respect their ideas and beliefs. Again, we might think they're totally wrong, and we, we might even think their ideas are poisonous. But at least we try to get them correctly. We state them fairly. We don't engage in straw man or, you know, other informal fallacies. Mm-hmm.
0: I've been scrambling so hard to try to find a document that I've saved. And of course, I don't know where I saved it. So that's my problem. But it was an argument that an atheist was having with a person calling herself a progressive Christian, where Mm -hmm. she's a Christian, but she doesn't necessarily believe in like the virgin birth or or there's only Christ is the answer to salvation. And the atheist said, wow, if you don't believe in that you really can't even call yourself a Christian. he was the one calling her on the turf. I thought that was very interesting.
1: no doubt about it um you know and again, I think we can we can do that for each other you know we're we're in a uh i could i could call it the marketplace of ideas and we're interacting with each other and and sometimes uh secular people uh can correct um and you know. That's an important point I think for Christians to appreciate that because we're made in the image of God, because all of us are the beneficiary of common grace, and because God's glory is declared in the world, you know, non-Christians can get a lot of things right. They can even correct us on things. And so, I I think we want to avoid being overly dogmatic. I think we want to avoid looking down on people. I think we want to have a real good conversation and you know some some non-Christians they they want to engage.
0: I agree. Ken let's talk about the Christian doctrine of original sin.
1: Yeah. Yeah it's it's a very important biblical truth. I there's no doubt about it, Bill, that all branches, all denominations within Christendom accept the idea that we have a fallen nature that Adam and Eve sin, somehow that has been passed down to us. Uh, St. Augustine, it, the Bible Bible doesn't use the words original sin. St. Augustine is what is the one who coined that and developed it. He kind of thought of original sin as it's kind of like a hereditary disease passed on from one generation to the other. But original sin in its fullest would say, we're morally corrupt. That is, we have a sin nature. We, uh, we seem incapable of, of completely stopping sinning. Um, it would also mean that we're going to die as a result of being cut off, uh, from God. And, uh, and then thirdly, that we are, uh, we're guilty in Adam, that Adam was like our federal representative and God decided to treat all of humanity depending on what Adam did. Now, some people push back on that. Uh, An entire branch of Christendom known as Eastern Orthodoxy, they believe in what they call ancestral sin. They believe that we are fallen, but they don't accept the idea that we're guilty in Adam. And there are some evangelicals. Um, I would describe them as kind of the uh, radical reformation, um, these would be Protestants who say, look, I, yeah, I'm a sinner and I have to be saved by grace, but I don't accept the idea of being guilty in Adam. I would only say to those folks, and I do all the time when I talk with uh, evangelicals or I talk with Eastern Orthodox, I say, look, I think the gospel kind of trades on that because If you're troubled that God is going to judge you for what Adam did, then why do you think it's okay for God to judge Christ for what you did? So Romans 5 is a critical place that I think teaches original sin. But the Old Testament does as well. Uh, Psalm 51, uh, I I was conceived in iniquity and came from my mother's womb speaking lies. I think of the passage in Jeremiah, who, who has kept their heart pure. So it is, it is controversial and there are people who push back on it. But the Western church, which would include both Catholic and kind of the original Protestant churches affirm original sin. And I think it's, I think it's clearly a biblical doctrine, but it is, it is again, uh, controversial. And I think Bill, the, one of the reasons is because we live at a time where we where we emphasize individual people's rights. Whereas this idea of original sin, that we would have a collective guilt. I've met uh, people from other parts of the world. I remember talking with a, a young woman who was Chinese and I presented original sin. And she said, you know, I don't, I don't think we would have much of a problem with this original guilt because we see ourselves in terms of the collective. Mm, so interesting. It, it's it's an interesting idea. Now, how that sin nature is passed on. I had a Muslim not too long ago say, the Bible doesn't teach original sin. That's the error of Paul. Jesus never believed in it. I said, well, since you don't believe in original sin, I said, why don't you stop being selfish? <laughs> stop in being. Why don't you stop lusting mm-hmm. and then tell me whether you believe in original sin or not? I like it. You know, this is. I think that this is a very powerful thing to say, look, the Bible seems to get human nature right. And if it gets human nature right, then maybe the message of about redemption is also right. If I, if I can't clean myself up, if I cannot stop sinning, I need a savior. And Bill, I see this all the time. Uh, I call it the man on the street religion, where people say, you know, I'm not as bad as Hitler, but I'm not as good as Mother Teresa. Sure. So I'm kind of hoping God will judge me on a curve. But you know, the Bible's very clear. You don't want to stand in the judgment without a mediator, without a savior. Right. And that draws us back to the, the critical importance of Jesus Christ. So uh, Islam doesn't believe in it. Um, Hinduism doesn't believe in it, uh, even though both of those cultures have been devastated, like all human beings have been devastated by original sin.
0: Ken, you know I have very smart listeners. You know that, don't you?
1: I, I've been around, and I know <laughs> you've got very smart listeners.
0: Yeah. Here's a question that just came in. Uh, dear Professor Samples, and they're polite on top of it, which I like. like Yep. I have always thought that the strongest atheistic argument was that our arguments require God to always exist and always have existed. While I guess that m- must be true, it still seems wild to me, and I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. Can you speak to this?
1: Well, you got some smart listeners. Oh, I know. Dude. I know. I know. This is a really this is a topic I address in one of my books entitled Christianity cross examined but let me let me kind of summarize it. You know everything we know in the world it's it's what we philosophers call contingent. That is it's it's dependent. It could exist or not exist, but it it can't bring itself into existence. So it, since everything we know is contingent or dependent then there must be something beyond the world that is not contingent or dependent. Because if everything is contingent or dependent, then nothing would exist at all. So I think one of the most powerful arguments for God is called the argument from contingency. Everything we see could exist or not exist, but it can't bring itself into existence. That to me tells me logically there must be a necessary being. A non-contingent being, and historic Christianity says that's the triune God.
0: Mm-hmm. I really liked what you just said, Ken, but I I would love for you to say it one more time. And now you're in front of a class of seventh graders.
1: I love those seventh graders. I know um, you do. <laughs> let me let me put it let me put it to you this way: um, if If everything was caused, if everything, uh, came into being, um, then nothing would ever start. True. Everything in the world that we know is dependent. So the way we think about God is he's the uncaused cause. He is the, he is the, uh, necessary being. You know, why is there a world at all? Um, where did it come from? Why is there anything? Uh, Christians say there has to be something that always existed. There has to be something that exists not contingently, that is not dependent, but, but exists as a necessary reality. So, um, I think the idea that God is eternal, that God always existed, I think it's consistent with logic and reason and argumentation. It's definitely hard to get your mind around. How could God et- eternally exist? But that's who he says he is. I know. And and you can argue, uh, I, I think you can make a good case that it makes logical sense.
0: Yeah. We can't really conceive anything without a beginning. Uh, my brain just uh, can't go there.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's uh, God... But we're talking about God. So sometimes people say, well, you know, why does it have to be technical? Well, remember we're talking about God. I know. And that's, that's going to challenge us.
0: And my listener said, but how can something as complex as God just be?
1: Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's, that is, a, that is a challenging, uh, element, but you, you could think of it like this, that, you know, how do you understand the universe, the, The word universe comes from unity and diversity. Mm -hmm. It seems like the world's one thing, unity, but it seems like it's a lot of parts, diversity. Mm -hmm. Well, that one complex being, because, because God is complicated, but God's also simple. There's only one God and that one God exists as three distinct, but not separable persons. Mm -hmm. So one God and three persons. So I think that, um, that's a, an explanation for it. Otherwise, you might say, "Well, the universe came into existence without a cause." Well, wait a second here. So, even if the Christian idea is hard to understand, the alternatives seem um, the alternatives don't seem adequate. Mm-hmm. All right, Ken. Let me take a little break. Ken Samples
0: so, is my guest. He's a philosopher and a theologian. We're talking about the atheist perspective. If you've got a question for Ken, let me know what it is. I've got another couple coming in here on the text line. You can send it over to 877-933-2484 and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good. I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy.
1: It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnaud. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, yeah. what's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill
0: Arnaud. Welcome. If you just joined me, Ken Samples is my guest and we're chatting about Dr. Keith Parsons, who is a very bright guy who also happens to be an atheist and Ken always says, "Boy, you should get to know the other side's arguments because it's going to be helpful along the way." And Ken, I'm going to just play a little naive with you right now because you are a theologian and a philosopher. So, if I just ask this question, your response would be what, Ken? Who created God?
1: Yeah, that that kind of builds on the on the question. Um, that we were discussing before. Let me, let me try a couple ways of responding to it. Okay. I might, I might say something along this line. Um, uh, Asking who created God is kind of asking who's the spouse of a bachelor or, (laughs) or what does, what does the musical note D smell like? Mm -hmm. (laughs) If, If, if God is, If God is the uncaused cause, if God is the creator, if everything that exists depends upon him, he doesn't need a cause. So you would only ask the question uh, of a what is the cause of something if it came into being? God, on the other hand, he introduces himself to Moses in the burning bush. And says, I am that I am. The, the Hebrew conveys the idea of God's eternality. Now, now again, we're finite and we're limited and we're fallen and all of those things. So it's hard to kind of get our minds around this idea, but it does make sense if if anything now exists, then something must have been eternal or something non-eternal popped out of nothing. Now I don't think it's possible for something non-eternal to pop out of something. So I'm left with this idea that there's something eternal. Mm-hmm. So God is uh, God is a being that doesn't have a beginning. And again, that implies a, a lot. God doesn't think quite the way we do. He doesn't go through a, a discursive process. He doesn't change. He has all power, all wisdom. He's everywhere present. I mean, this is a God that blows your mind. Yeah. But this is also a God, if you're in right relationship with him through Jesus Christ, you're going to know him and enjoy him, and you're going to love him forever.
0: Hmm. Ken, I was just talking to my producer, Wyatt, who was probably a straight-A student, um, and I said to him, when you have a, a mind outside this world that created this world, how can you ever expect to know it
1: yeah yeah let's let's kind of let's kind of tighten that a little bit okay um for a Christian, we would say that a mind caused nature for the atheists, they would say no, nature caused mind but if but if a mind God's mind, which is an infinite mind if if God's infinite mind created the world so he creates it with reason and with laws then it would make sense that if he made us in his image we could track the intelligibility we could follow the scientific laws we could look at the logical arguments but if nature created mind remember nature doesn't have a mind nature is not a person nature doesn't think so if so if an unguided Natural process created the world. Why should we think we could really understand anything at all? Mm Hmm. Good point. So, so again, the the fact that the fact that there is science and logic and mathematics, those fit really well with the idea that God's the great mathematician. He's the great creator, designer. You know, he's the great logician. Yeah. By the way, John says in John one, in the beginning was logic. Um, uh, John calls Jesus the logic of God, the thought of God, the reason of God, so you know what we celebrate at Christmas time is better than anything in fiction because it says that eternal God that we can't get around our get our mind around, he showed up in it with a human nature.
0: Wow, amazing. I never get tired of hearing this, me neither, yeah. Fantastic. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a philosopher and theologian. Ken, let's go back to uh, Christian theological traditions. Do they all affirm original sin?
1: All of them do. If if all of you are talking about is we seem to have a sinful capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, You know... um, the Eastern Orthodox, so the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, I would even include the Oriental Orthodox, so the Coptics, etc. They believe that we have a sinful nature, but they say we only have a proclivity to sin, a proclivity to sin. Um, I think that that's not strong enough because the Bible talks has many words for for sin. One of them is evil. Um you know, there are many words that convey that idea. Um, and there are some evangelicals who kind of come out of the, what I, what I, what historians would call the radical reformation. So some within evangelicalism would, would reject the idea of original sin. But again, only that guilty part. That's where the rub is. All Christians, I think, clearly accept that we're sinners and, um, we all accept that we're going to die, but some are troubled that God would blame you for what Adam did. Of course, my what I would entertain again is, Jesus is the second Adam. That's what Paul says. So Jesus comes into the world to redo everything that Adam undid. And just as Christ, uh, he suffers the wrath of God for our sins... Um, and so God punishes him for what we did. I don't see a problem with the idea that God would hold us collectively uh guilty in adam and 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 by the way, I think that these are really important too bill, for our own kind of cultural context if we're all if all of us came from Adam and if all of us have original sin then there's no, there should be no white superiority. There should be no black superiority, no yellow, no brown superiority. We're all human beings. We're all finite. We're all fallen. We are all in need of a savior. Um, And there's a collectiveness. And I would add, we're all made in the image of God. Blaise Pascal says, there's the enigma. Humans are an enigma of greatness and wretchedness. Greatness because they're made in God's image. Wretched because they're fallen. Atheism doesn't have either. None of the other world's religions hold this kind of duality of enigma. And humans are great. We can do science. We can do philosophy. We can do art. All all of these extraordinary things. And yet we can, you can also get the Holocaust. You can get human trafficking. Um, uh, humans are capable of enormous evil and, and everyone. I mean, I've had a lot of heroes in my life and everyone that I got to meet, I was like, Oh, he's broken just like me, except for one man who comes into the world and we find him in the gospels and he doesn't have a problem with anger and envy and gluttony and greed and lust and pride and sloth. He doesn't have any of that because he's the only one without the taint of original sin. Now, Roman Catholics are going to differ with their Protestant friends and say Mary didn't have the taint of original sin. But that's another debate. Mm -hmm. Uh, about that belief. But I think, I think original sin has a lot of explanatory power. Uh, And I think if I uh, had an opportunity, and it would be an honor to talk with Keith Parsons, because I know he's, he is a very articulate person and and can marshal good arguments. I would want to say, but Dr. Parsons, doesn't that, aren't you making a concession that has real weight because I think if you can explain humanity, you're well on your way to a philosophy that reveals genuine truth. Hmm. Ken Samples is my guest. We're going to take
0: a little break. We come back. We're going to continue uh, talking about the atheist perspective. And if you have a question or comment for Ken, 877-933-2484. Be right back. How about make a wonderful commitment to yourself this year by reading through the Bible, maybe not even once, but maybe twice? Say things to yourself like, I am going to create a new habit that maybe I have not had in years, and I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to stick with it. You've always said you wanted to, so how about make it this year where you do it, spending more time in God's Word, and you can do it and we can help. So all you have to do is get your Bible. In a year, plan right now, and you can do that right over at MyFaithRadio.com. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Ken Samples is my guest. He loves philosophy and theology. It's a great combo we're talking today. If you just joined us about an atheist philosopher named Dr. Keith Parsons and his attitude, and Ken's perspective is it's always important to know what the other side knows and how they argue and to be respectful of everyone's uh perspective because we want them to be respectful of our perspective so ken uh, a question just came in what does god do with people from non-christian religions there are millions of people that are born into that religion and that's all they've ever known it's hard to believe that god won't save them too your response
1: yeah, that's a that's a big issue. Um I would say that question about what about people in other religions is every big as questions about science. Uh again, I've written a a number of my books address that, even the one God Among Sages where I compare Jesus with Krishna, Buddha, Confucius and Muhammad. But let me say this. Um I think that people born in other religions still have knowledge of God. And I'm talking about the God I think is real, the biblical God. Everybody's made in his image. Everybody is the beneficiary of common grace. Um, Everybody sees the glory of God, Romans 1, Psalm 19. Uh, Every religion, uh, basically, Bill has the second five of the Ten Commandments, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't envy, That's in Taoism, it's in Buddhism, it's in Hinduism. Uh, Certainly it's in Judaism, Islam, Confucianism. Now, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us, go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's called the Great Commission. Um, When Jesus tells us to do something as followers, we should snap to it. I've spent a good bit of my life, adult life, trying to talk with people in other religions. And here's the interesting thing. 50 years ago, I'd have to go overseas if I wanted to talk to a Confucianist or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Buddhist. Today it's a small world. Mm, Boys, it ever technology and people have people who lived in the East have come to the West. So I think we're in a great position to complete the Great Commission. Now, I don't I think that if you are in a a non-Christian religion, I think with all due respect, uh I think you're in a false religion. So I'm going to make the case that uh the burden of reaching the world with the message is that these people could be lost. Now, again, not everybody agrees with me. Some will say, well, maybe God will give them a test, or maybe if they were obedient to what they knew. And and these views are called pluralism, inclusivism, exclusivism, or particularism. Again, I write about that. A good book would be my book, God Among Sages. But I don't think we can be confident that people who are not reached with the gospel will be saved. Thus, um, I've dedicated my life to writing books, giving talks, engaging in debates, dialoguing with people, because... I don't think there's anything more important than knowing Jesus as your Savior. He doesn't say, I'm one of many ways. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That seems pretty powerful and pretty clear.
0: Mm. So, Ken, is there any chance a person, after they die, would get an opportunity to repent because they would hear the proper presentation of the gospel versus some false teaching they were fed their whole life?
1: Some would say yes. There are people who would say that, uh, again, it's some kind of inclusivism that would say, you know, maybe if these people through no fault of their own uh, didn't know the gospel, some believe God will test them or give them an opportunity in the next life. I'm just not convinced the Bible teaches that. And therefore, I say, if you believe as I do, then we need to be evangelists. I mean, I know in our age, the worst thing in the world is you're unloving, you're intolerant, you know, you're dogmatic because you're trying to push your religion on somebody else. But if we believe it's the truth, yeah. I don't want to push it on anybody else. But I, I, I definitely want to. To do my part to complete Jesus's great commission.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you want to be as intentional as possible because eternity is at stake.
1: Yeah, and you can be winsome and also evangelistic. You can be. I I like to say this, Bill. I'm I'm tolerant toward people. At least I always strive to be. Sometimes I don't follow that exactly, but because uh, I struggle with original sin but on the other hand i'm intolerant of bad ideas or things that are false and and to disagree with someone about a bad idea doesn't mean you're intolerant toward the person and paul says you know love is really the greatest apologetic i i think lots of people come to know the lord cuz they meet other christians who are caring and winsome and kind and they say I'd like that.
0: Yeah, point well taken. And when we, as we're just wrapping up our time, Ken. Um, it this is important, I believe, in our faith journey to say I need to be kind and I need to be respectful of everyone's position because we start by listening with both ears, um, seeking first to understand. I think. What a person believes, and then helping them to understand biblical truth,
1: that, yeah, that's exactly right. Peter says in first peter three fifteen always be ready to give to every man an answer, a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience mm-hmm. so Jude says, contend for the faith um though it's it's very important that we're able to do that, but um you know, uh, Paul, I think, is crystal clear. You you can understand all mysteries. I I, I mean, I can understand the Trinity. Wow, the in, I could understand the incarnation. But if you have no love, you're nothing. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, I think we should be driven always by truth and by love. We want the truth. We hold on to it, but we allow our faith to express itself in love. That's what Paul says in the book of Galatians. I've made mistakes. I've gotten defensive. I have uh, given weak arguments, but uh, that's my desire. I want to mm-hmm. be a went a and caring person. I, When I die, I want people to say, Ken loved his wife and his kids and his friends, and he desired uh, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. Got a nice comment. Oh, we are so blessed to have access to such great Christian thinkers on Faith Radio And I don't think they were referring to me. Thanks, Ken, for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime, Bill. You bet. Ken Samples has been my guest. That's our show for the day. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I have loved being with you. I look forward to our time again tomorrow. Have a great night.